televised but it is being digitized right here on digital village hi this is rick allen and i'm leilani albano on digital village we're bringing you stories about the internet and technology and how they're shaping culture along with every other aspect of our lives the digital revolution is indeed awe-inspiring but can also be used for nefarious purposes we're here to help prevent some of those abuses you can hear us archived on kpfk.org and digitalvillage.org. So, on with the show. California activists won a decisive victory in the courts after a federal judge struck down Proposition 22, calling it unconstitutional and unenforceable. Alameda County Judge Frank Roche, who handed down the ruling in late August, said that the measure went too far by limiting the ability of future legislators to make changes to the law. Under controversial Proposition 22, which passed in November of 2020, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash were permitted to classify rideshare drivers as independent contractors by exempting them from a new labor law known as AB5. California's AB5 would have required rideshare companies to provide benefits, including health care, and establish worker protections. Rideshare companies are, of course, vowing to appeal the judge's decision. With us to talk about the issue is Rideshare Drivers United spokesperson Nicole Moore. She spoke with Digital Village's co-host Leilani Albano. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Tell me about the Prop 22 decision in Alameda County. What was the basis of the judge's ruling? And was the decision, as Uber and Lyft put it, a mistake? (laughs) It's so funny to hear them say it's a mistake. What we have here is a very bad law that rewrote labor law uh, on people who are misclassified as independent contractors when all the control over our work, how much we're paid, you know, whether or not we get bonuses, it's all based on the company's algorithms and all of that. So when they say the judge made a mistake, it's laughable because what the judge said was that the law attempts to rewrite the Constitution on a basic right that the Constitution gives the legislature, which is workers' compensation. We don't have access to workers' compensation. Prop 22 didn't give us any rights to get help if we're injured on the job. You cannot rewrite labor law to assign a class of people to a permanent second-class status. Can you go into that more? Because to my understanding, it says that it limited the ability of future legislatures to amend the law. That seemed a bit of an overreach. The law itself says that you have to achieve seven-eighths majority in the legislature in order to amend or change the law. Seven-eighths majority, even in our California legislature, I don't think seven-eighths of the majority could agree that it was a sunny day in the summer. 
you know, and, and so, you know, I mean, it's basically that is, you know, the other point that they're making, which is that, you know, the legislature has to have some ability to make changes, especially where they are, you know, mandated to take care of workers across California on issues such as workers' comp. Can you give us some background on Prop 22 and what was its chief mm-hmm. aim? Let's talk about Prop 22 because Prop 22 was all of the major industries of delivery and rideshare coming together and making false promises to the public and to the workforce that this law was going to absolutely preserve driver's flexibility and was going to give us at least a wage floor and some benefit. And so it would be better than what we had. What what was really about to happen is that the, the Attorney General of California, only weeks before the election, had issued an injunction against the companies to follow basic labor law in California. When you hear things like minimum wage, unemployment, those kinds of things, you think, oh, well, those things are going to help drivers, you know, or delivery workers are already making better than minimum wage. It's actually not true. Um, and in Rights of Drivers United, we, we did a whole thing called the People's Enforcement of, uh, you know, AB5, which is the law that it clarifies that we are eligible under basic labor law, all these rights. When drivers came in and did wage claims to the Labor Commission saying that Lyft Uber had actually paid them less than minimum wage and hadn't reimbursed their expenses and those kinds of things, 5,000 drivers you know, signed those claims. It was found that the companies owed 5,000 workers more than $1.3 billion in back wages, unpaid expenses, and half of that is damages. But nonetheless, even high-earning drivers, when they really look at how much time they spent with their app on, waiting for rides, and taking the on rides, the amount of wear and tear we put on our car, so the net that we earned is less than what is legally guaranteed under the law. People may be wondering, there were people who voted for it, people who even supported Uh rideshare drivers. So why did activists sue over passage of Prop 22? Didn't a majority of Californians vote in support of the measure? Yeah, 58% voted yes for the measure. What's really shocking about that is in some early exit polls, it showed that 40% of the people that voted for Prop 22 thought they were voting to help drivers to increase their rights and not decrease their rights. So, um, you know, the $200 million propaganda campaign worked very well so that people didn't understand what they were voting for. But, But nonetheless, you know, laws can pass in California that violate the Constitution through the proposition process, and the courts are there to challenge that if people's rights are being violated. What kind of picture did it paint in terms of what the bill would do versus the reality of what the bill did? So the proposition promised 
flexibility and the preserving of flexibility. There's not a driver in California that wouldn't fight for flexibility. We, we all need that flexibility either because we have another job and so we have to work this one in between because we have kids to pick up from school. These are universal worker issues. But the reality is, soon after the law passed, some of the very key tools that we had to ensure that we were making good choices on which rides to accept, such as seeing the destination of the ride before we push that we're accepting the ride, those disappeared. The other thing that we had was the ability to set a multiplier. You can set that you'll only accept rides that are twice the minimum or three times the minimum in terms of mileage. And they took those multipliers away from us as well. So they've continued to make our job harder and harder I don't even see that as being a flexibility issue. That just seems like something that you need in order to survive. If Mm -hmm. if you are, let's say, a driver in San Fernando Valley, you may not necessarily want to take a job in Orange County because of whatever situation you have with your car. Mm -hmm. That doesn't seem like a flex issue. Yeah, it's, it's really a control issue. We need those controls in order to earn. And those are the controls that when you're assigned to independent contractor status, you know, the exchange is that you have those controls of your own work. But instead, what the industry gave us was independent contractor status with no controls over our own work and no rights to basic things like minimum wage and and job protections like unemployment insurance and workers' compensation. The gig companies implied that rideshare costs would increase if Prop 22 didn't pass, but we're seeing costs rise anyway. I've been told that it's very expensive to take any kind of Uber rides. Yeah, I mean, we've seen uh, consumer prices for rides just skyrocket over the last, like, six months. So you would expect that drivers, you know, pay would also be expanding exponentially, but it's not. I mean, I've seen receipt after receipt where a ride from the airport that used to cost $50 for a passenger is now costing $150. But guess what? The driver is still getting $30 for that same ride. I think what other news media sites are pointing out is that that this was inevitable because the kind of business model in and of itself doesn't really lend towards the workers. And it seems like the companies are losing out in terms of their own profits. So that's the reason why Mm -hmm. they're pushing these costs to the passengers. The model of these businesses is that through investor capital, they subsidize the rides for many years, um, making it cheap for passengers And, you know, in the beginning, they paid quite well to drivers. So the idea was to get us all hooked on the drug of rideshare and then then shift to a model where consumers are paying the full price and the investors aren't. That's a horrible model, especially when we're in the transportation industry, which is important for equity and in our societies, that people can get around to their jobs and all that, it's another false narrative to say that rideshare is money losing. If they were to find a solid place to land where consumers are paying a decent, you know, amount for the ride, but not these exorbitant prices, 
And if they were to pay drivers what they deserve, we actually can find that medium. But what's happening right now is the companies are taking at least half of most of the rides. This is an extremely profitable business to them. There's no way that running the app and a few hubs and some advertising, it costs the company half of the fare, whereas the fleet, which is 100% financed by the drivers, you can pay the driver and pay for the fleet out of half of the fare. I would just say that's not a fair fare, and they are profiting from the mature rideshare markets. They use drivers as their bank account. When they need more cash, they squeeze us. That's what's happening right now, and they're also squeezing the customers right now. They're investing their money in other markets and new technologies, and that's why the the bottom line looks like they're losing money. But the truth is they're making hand over fist and investing in new markets. So how has the workers' conditions changed during COVID over the past one and a half years? How has that made your job more difficult? Well, I want to say at the beginning of the pandemic, when California shut down, um, we went from work to having no room. You could sit with your app on all day and, you know, not get a single ping. So basically, you know, people went from, hey, you know, I'm getting close to having made my months from this, this month to, bam, no money. That was a horrible situation. COVID was devastating. You know, we went from earning, you know, almost being there with our rent for this month, going to work the next day, and when they shut down the state, the bottom fell out. Many people were sitting there all day with their apps on and didn't get a single ride. You know, part of the solution there was um, unemployment, right? Um, Many, many businesses and workers had to go to unemployment. We went to unemployment, you know, having made been a full-time Lyft or Uber worker, what we were told is, oh, you're not eligible for unemployment. Well, yes, we are. No, you're not. <laughs> I don't see any anything in my system that says that you have been working the last two years. Well, you must be an independent contractor. You can't get unemployment. We are absolutely eligible for unemployment. We've been eligible for unemployment under EB-5, under Dynamics before that, and under the Borello law even before that. But because we're misclassified by the employers, it was a really difficult process. Um, When the federal government offered PUA, um, that um, relieved a lot of people, although PUA is based on net, not gross. And so many um, workers found they weren't even making the maximum under PUA. And we did a whole system to try to support people uh, to get their unemployment and that kind of thing. But a good 20 to 30% of us had to keep working. And can you tell and, about the PPE situation? Were you guys given that PPE? So people went to work every day. It was dangerous. The companies did not provide PPE. If you cleaned your car, it was on your own time. You weren't paid for that time, nor did you have the supplies. There were some small efforts to provide some masks, but When you're driving for 12 hours in your car, wearing a mask the whole time, you have to change masks during the day. And then what do you do with the passenger trying to get in your car who doesn't have a mask on? You end up supplying masks for passengers as well. It became very expensive. And I would think that it was made more difficult by the fact that 
the Uber and Lyft was charging people so much more. So what did that mean Mm -hmm. in terms of the availability of work? Yeah, I I don't know how the high costs have impacted work. It's hard to gauge that. Definitely what it impacts is our tips, for sure. When you're on a $50 ride that for some reason is now costing you $150, you don't tip your driver. That's what happens. And often tips are, you know, the only thing that puts us over doing volunteer work. What are some of the rideshare workers' demands, and how are these demands evolving with this situation that we're having with COVID? In terms of safety, it's a huge issue with health with COVID. So safety means how does the company guarantee that people are wearing their masks? How does the company guarantee that um, you know the car is clean? How does the company guarantee that if I as a driver catch COVID? How can I get sick pay in order to take the next 10 days off and quarantine until I'm better? Those are the issues that are, you know, kind of very, very concerning. Prop 22, for instance, promised health care. Not even 10% of the workforce are receiving the health stipends. The majority are being paid, you know, are, are, you, know with, you know, like 30% of the drivers have Medi-Cal because they fall under the poverty line. Only 10% are getting that. We were promised sick leave during COVID, and people had a tremendous mountain to climb just to get sick leave pay. You had mentioned idle time. Has there been any kind of mm-hmm. movement around that? Since the economy is opening up more, there's a lot more demand than there has been. But we're seeing the number of drivers on the street is also increasing, which then reduces the number of rides that an individual driver gets as well. We're very concerned that when people in other industries who've lost their jobs lose their um, unemployment in uh, the beginning of September, that they'll be trying to join the ranks of the driving economy as well and will be even more challenged. I mean, there's, there's no limit to the number of drivers that Lyft and Uber can put on the road. Trying to lure a lot of people onto the road when we had a driver shortage for the first time, you know, in any of the years I can remember, we never had a driver shortage. But that driver shortage is going to go away and people will have more and more unoccupied time. There are Mm -hmm. no limitations to the number of lifts and Ubers that can be on the road. So transitioning to the National Labor Relations Board, people are anticipating a more labor-friendly government now that we see Biden appointing people to the NLRB. Did that have any kind of impact on the Alameda County Prop 22 decision? And do you anticipate more labor-friendly decisions because of Biden's appointees? I think this decision, that the ruling that says that Prop 22 is constitutional, is completely different from the federal appointment. This is the California judicial system, and it's been pretty steady on this stuff. I mean, this is just a a law that's bad and needs to be overturned. But in terms of federal legislation, the danger right now is that these kinds of laws in the United States are like whack-a-mole. Like everywhere Lyft and Uber goes, they're trying to change the legislature. The laws of the land to say that drivers aren't employees and deserve no labor rights. And so, I mean, they just tried to move a law in New York. 
it was the de- deliveristas, the deliverables in New York, and a bunch of different labor unions that pushed back and said, no, this is not going to help us. And they were able to kill the bill. But they're trying to move sort of a Prop 22 clone now in Massachusetts. And the, the industry is, again, poising themselves to put millions of dollars into propaganda to say this is going to be good for drivers. There's a a very strong coalition in Massachusetts right now that is trying to stop that from happening. So what the PRO Act does is it changes the act just enough to say whether you are judged as an independent contractor or an employee, you have this right. It's a really powerful way of looking at it because really it is up to workforce to to still vote in a union or not. But for tens of thousands, probably millions of people who are misclassified in this country, that's a really key issue. But what we're seeing right now is that company after company is flipping to this model as they've had employees and now they're going to make them 1099s because it's there's less regulation on them, they don't have to pay them, and they can't unionize. This is happening right now to shoppers in some of the unionized stores who were paid union wages, good benefits, and now all of a sudden the stores are converting those folks to 1099. And if you don't think this can happen where you work, I invite you to let this crazy whack-a-mole situation continue. We need federal protections for misclassified workers and all app-based people. In New York, there is some kind of rideshare model that is now working. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? And is that something that California and the rest of the country could be looking at? Absolutely. Now, what New York has done, and this is because of the incredible work of the New York Taxi Workers Alliance, which is both taxis and rideshare drivers working together to make transportation work in New York City. What they established, and, you know, they have a New York Taxi Limousine Commission, so that's the regulatory kind of government agency that, first of all, demanded all the data for Lyft and Uber to operate in New York City. So the state actually has a handle on what's actually happening in the city. But what the, the drivers fought for was they also made the claim that they were making less than minimum wage. And so they looked at what minimum wage is in New York City, which I think at this time is around $16. But plus expenses, right? When you drive your car, the IRS estimates to be 56 cents a mile just to break even on your car driving it for work like this. So so what um, New York City settled on, what their New York um, taxi workers um, you know, and the Taxi Limousine Commission settled on was a minimum wage of $27 an hour for all-time work. Now, this is where... Propositions like Prop 22 are so dangerous because they're only paying drivers that they call engaged time, which is from the time you accept a job till you drop that person off. So all the wait time, which honestly, even in good times, is about 40% of our time, it's been waiting for the next ride to accept. So in New York, they are allocating minimum wage towards the time that you're waiting for a ride as well. So the minimum you can make in New York City includes wait time and is $27 an hour in some sense in order to accommodate the fact that you are also paying exorbitant expenses for your car. 
what happened in the data they're looking at now um, before their $27 an hour minimum for all-time work passed, drivers were making an average of $12 to $13 an hour. Since that law has passed, the drivers are averaging $17 to $18 an hour. This is what we need to take from New York and try to move that kind of model that includes government accountability and a way to pay drivers for all-time work, including expenses. All of us, including the high earners, would be in a better place if that were to happen. And an industry that we could build together as part of the transportation system in California that's fair and equitable and gets us somewhere as opposed to, you know, creating poverty for a whole huge group of people who are taking on this work. And is that Um, something that's possible, though, in a state that is as expansive as it is with so many different municipalities and cities you're going through, is that something that we can we can necessarily do here? Absolutely. I mean, we've regulated a number of agent, you know, a number of industries as a state, and other states have as well. There's no reason why we can't regulate this industry. Regulation is a very important part of transportation. It always has been. The taxi industry is regulated, the bus system, the train system, all that stuff is regulated, right? And and for some reason, we haven't been able to regulate here in California uh, right here. But I think we're moving in the right direction. I think, you know, AB5 was the beginning of saying, yes, drivers uh, and delivery workers are employees, even though they're deployed by app. The next step is, how do we regulate? You know, I'm very excited because we're actually working on, you know, how do you electrify, the, you know, the fleet? Because, you know, the the California legislature has said they want um, rideshare um, to be 100% electric by um, 2030. It's hard to believe that's, that's only in eight years, right? They were looking at regulating Lyft and Uber, and we raised our hand and said, hey, guess what? We absolutely believe in in moving to an electric fleet. But it's our fleet. It's not Lyft and Uber's fleet. We pay 100% of the fleet cost. So right now we're working on how do we regulate the conversion of our fleet from gas and hybrid to 100% electric. And we're trying to to get there, you know, working both with the CARB Commission and CPUC. I have a lot of hope because we're in this little area around global warming and carbon emissions, we're, we're getting somewhere with regulation that's going to help drivers and not just be a tax write-off for the companies. And that's very impressive. But we have to go further, right? Uh-huh. You so- know, now that the Prop 22 has been struck down, there will be appeals, I'm sure, to um, the appellate court and perhaps the Supreme Court level in California. But once that process is, is done, there's going to be no question that we fall under AB5 and our employees. And that's a really important step. But please, this is just California. We need federal um, decisions on how to make this industry work better for our global future, you know, for transportation and also for the workers. So that's why, you know, we're fighting for federal help, too, in forms such as the PRO Act. Okay, so going back to this latest Prop 22 decision, where do we go from here? I think the expectation Uh is that it's going to go to the Supreme Court. 
they're absolutely going to appeal. Our position and most lawyers I talk to tell me we're absolutely covered by AB5 right now. So all of the things that employees are supposed to get, we're supposed to get right now because the law was declared unconstitutional. So we will continue to fight for those individual rights. There are safety violations. We need to report those to OSHA. And Lyft and Uber need to be accountable to those things. We have to expose Prop 22 to help our people in other states who are now being attacked with this kind of law. We really need federal legislation and we really need the state to enforce the laws here as this court stuff goes through. Do you think Judge Roche's ruling will hold up? You know, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't predict what's going to happen. I do think that the points that, that the judge made in his decision seem really clear to me. I'm going to take the position to have faith that the judges in the appellate court and also the Supreme Court of California will also see through that this law did not do what it was promised to do and is really just protecting the interests of the company in terms of being able to pay people whatever they want and to guarantee that they don't have organized, unionized workers that they have to negotiate a legally enforceable contract with. Those are the things that this law guaranteed, and it is not what the company was promising. The country we live in, people believe when you put in an honest hour's work, you get an honest hour's pay. That's why we have labor rights in this country. It's the direction the country is demanding we go, that it's fair, and that the judge will see that as well. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. That was Nicole Moore, spokesperson for Rideshare Drivers United. She spoke with Digital Village's Leilani Elbano. That's it for this episode of Digital Village. You can hear us archived on kpfk.org. And digitalvillage.org. Thanks for listening to Digital Village. I'm Rick Allen. I'm Leilani Albano. And we'll see see you online. online.